From Relay FM, this is Upgrade Episode 100. <laughs> All the 100 lasers are out. Today's show is brought to you by Casper and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason 100 Snell. 100! Woo! We did it, Mr. Snell. What a, what a thing we have done here. 100 episodes of Upgrade. Yep, the sun kept... Uh shining and the earth kept moving around it and a hundred weeks passed and here we are we made it it's good very good so to celebrate our 100th episode today at the end of the show we are going to be discussing star trek 2 the wrath of khan in the triumphant return of mike at the movies yay but we have some follow-up to get to and some topics before that Mm-hmm. And we start with uh, the official announcement of Free Agents, Jason's new show uh, with David Sparks, which premiered on Relay FM last week. Jason, would you like to explain to our listeners why they should be tuning in to Free Agents? There's so many reasons to tune in. First is for the theme song, as provided by Mr. Chris Breen in the style of a spy, 60s spy movie. Um, for the narration of said theme song by Mr. Matt Alexander using his finest uh, spy narration English accent. And uh, then there's the content of the show. It's a show about being an independent worker, which so many more people are becoming, and I really believe is a, a trend that's going to just intensify as we move further into this century. So um, David and I recently, uh, you know, a year and a half-ish, left our jobs. And after 20 years working for a, you know, regular paycheck. And uh, we've learned things and made mistakes and have observations and that's sort of what the show is about is topic by topic sort of like what the issues are in being an independent worker and we're going to mix those in with interviews with people who are also like us independent workers in various areas and uh that's the show and it's every other week fortnightly and it's short we're we're trying to make it more like a half hour show not like a hour and a half show so that's the that's the plan, and the first episode is about uh, about scope and and not like doing like not taking on too much work and figuring out how much work you should take on, and that's directly because when David said I have an idea for a show that we should do together, um, and David unlike me David doesn't have a million podcasts he only has the one Mac Power users, um, but when when he proposed this I was like okay I'm intrigued but how do we make this work that it's not gonna it's not going to kill both of us. And we, we tried to work very hard on the concept mm-hmm. in order to limit the scope of the podcast to something that was doable by us. So that all fed sort of into the first episode, too. So what I like about Free Agents is that neither of you kind of purport to be experts. And it's like a little bit of discovery for everyone as it goes along, which I quite like, you know. I think that's a nice way to do it. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. And we, when we tried to not do an intro episode, it's really just a regular episode. Um yeah. Which I like that you're not getting a, an episode of we may we may go back at some point we probably will and tell our stories a little more directly about what you know led us to uh, make the move but that's not the you know, we don't want to start there we wanted to start with real real stuff and we're hoping that the listeners will also give us some feedback and tell their stories and and we'll just kind of explore as we go what the what what the show can grow into so uh, you can go check it out relay.fm slash free agents it's a Ooh. great little piece of artwork there from uh, mr frank towers oh yeah great great art great mm-hmm. theme i hope we can live up to the art theme and narration i'll put it that way uh, Giacomo uh, recommended Drawn Strip Reader as the best comic reader application for the Mac. Um, 
I haven't used it because I don't want to, but I took a look at the screenshots and it does look new and it looks modern um, a little bit better than uh, than the one that we were looking at last week, which I can't even remember the name of, but was, was touting universal support. Uh, this one is on the Mac App Store, yeah. even. Yeah, so check that out. I haven't, I haven't tried it, but if you're looking for a Mac uh, comic book reader, look for that one. But again, yeah. I highly recommend you read on an iPad. It's really nice. I was doing yep. that this weekend. I was on, I was on a train going from uh, L.A. to San Diego for the weekend, and I read a bunch of uh, comics on Marvel Unlimited, actually, sitting there on the train. It was great. Look at that. I haven't yet. I will. But not yet. Probably time. on my next trip, I think, is when I'm gonna yeah, there you go. load up some stuff. And whilst we're mentioning comics, I want to provide a piece of follow-up. Uh that <laughs> strangely, we got more people tell me about this today, the day that we're recording the next episode than any other day. But uh the actress who plays Wonder Woman, her name is pronounced Gail Gadot, I assume. It's because we were telling people that we need to people have been telling us we need to pronounce the T. Um, it's, right. not it's not it's not waiting waiting for Godot because no. she's Israeli and not French apparently. Yep. So we would be waiting for Godot. Godot. Uh, I I thought I was being fancy. I think so did you. Uh, yes. Oh yes. Really, we should have just given in and, and gone with the the on on the face of it pronunciation. Which is in general, Godot. I just try to I just try to pronounce things with a French accent because it makes it more exciting. Like uh, the accent in 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 Pokemon makes me want to say Pokemon because it sounds better that way. Uh, I also said Gale. It's Gal. It's just it's getting Gal. worse and worse. Thank you, Tana Bay in the chat room. Yeah, I was wondering if this was pronounced even weirder than I thought. Gale, really? G-A-L is Gale? But Gal it could be, but it's not. Gadot. It's Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Basically, call her Wonder Woman is what I'm saying. She's Wonder Woman. That's who she is. Wonder Woman through and through. Um, Are you familiar with Carpool Karaoke? Yes, absolutely. It's a late, late show. With James Corden, CBS, CBS uh, show. Uh, he's on after Stephen Colbert. It's the 1230 uh, a.m. time slot on CBS. He has a talk show. I'm a big fan of James Corden. He's a British comedy actor. Mm-hmm. It's been in a lot of great uh, comedy series like Gavin and Stacey, which is yeah. incredible, which you should check and, out. And you know that, of course, I know him from his two guest appearances on Doctor Who as yep. Craig. Yep the, uh, the 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 guy who the the doctor uh, rents a room from him and then of course there's aliens and things um, great in that too and then he was on Broadway and he won a Tony Award and uh, then he got this job at CBS doing a talk show so one of the re- regular recurring segments um, on James Corden's late late show is carpool karaoke where he picks up a celebrity and they drive around together singing. And there's part, it's yep. part t- tends to be part song, part music, and part comedy as well, is, is how they tend to run. Uh, the one that kind of really broke out was the Adele carpool right. karaoke. Um, and there's been a few more since then. There was one recently with the First Lady. Um, they're really, really entertaining. Now, there has been, it's been rumored for many months now, I think since the Adele uh, episode, that there was going to be a spin off TV show. Of carpool karaoke, yeah. there, there were reports. Um, I don't even think it was a rumor. I think that that uh, CBS was shopping a carpool karaoke series around. I think uh, that was that was definitely the reports were out there, and people were wondering like who was going to buy the carpool karaoke series because it would be produced by CBS and by James Corden's company, but it wouldn't be hosted by James Corden yep. because he already has a show. So that is the thing that's the sad thing to me, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, th- th- it has now been announced that Apple 
have got the rights to the yeah. new show as part of <laughs> Apple Music. Um, from a content perspective, great fit, right? Music related. Yeah, you, you get the sense that Apple has its eye. That's like the number one priority for Apple when it's thinking about it, investing in original video content is, is let's look at everything that's potentially music related mm. because that that allows them to just sort of stitch it into to uh, Apple Music instead of making everybody wonder if Apple's doing a whole over the top, whatever. They just say, no, we've already got a subscription service. It's Apple Music. Find music shows. And this is a music show, so it sort of makes sense. And I feel like that there's probably likely to be some kind of update. I don't know what iOS 10 is like for video um, with Apple Music. I know that on iOS 9 and on previous versions, the video player inside of the music app isn't uh, as good as it is in other areas. Um, there's like a lot of like letterboxing made by the application. Uh, so it would be nice to see uh, some updates there, especially if they're moving into video content. It, it just still continues to be peculiar to me that that Apple are signing up these shows, but they're in Apple Music um, as opposed to an Apple video service. It, it kind of, Every time I see something like this, uh, I just keep thinking to myself that there was supposed to be an Apple TV service that just doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there was a story about that, too, that I don't think we even have it in our show notes here, but there was a Wall Street Journal story last week about Apple. And uh, the, the way the story was pitched was, oh, Apple executives are so arrogant and nobody in, nobody trusts them and all the other you know, entertainment that I think left unsaid was, are the entertainment executives um, humble people? <laughs> I don't think that's true either. I think the arrogance is that Apple's, from Apple's perspective, Apple understands the future of technology and how it intersects with entertainment and the entertainment people are dinosaurs. And from the entertainment industry's perspective, Apple is this tech company who doesn't understand anything about the entertainment industry and is acting like they are their personal, you know, industry saviors and they're not. They're they're super arrogant about it. I see both sides of it. The Wall Street Journal kind of not seeing both sides pretty much the story being told by the entertainment people but the idea that eddie q walks into meetings strangely detailed with hawaiian shirt and uh and no socks <laughs> okay and jeans all right uh that was a detail in the story and the uh, the entertainment industry people were wearing suits of course uh good to know good to know the dress code um Apple comes in and says, you know, we want to do this. We want to. We don't want to do your big bundle. We want to take specific shows. Here's what we want to do. They basically came in with a product, mm-hmm. and the entertainment industry says, yeah, I, uh, uh, we, we don't. That's not how we do business. And you can see the disconnect there. But it, it's interesting to have it spelled out like that. And I think you can argue both sides. You can argue that Apple is coming in with their idea of a product and and trying to get a whole industry to just change how they make their product in order to suit Apple and be them being skeptical of that. You could also argue that Apple's coming in and saying, you guys are chasing your own tails. You don't know where, where the future lies. You're afraid to make changes. And we're just going to come in and, su- and suggest we make all these changes and that they're reluctant to change. And so they reject what Apple is selling i sort of see i see both sides of it um but it's interesting that this is all going on um but that anyway that that's the that's the reason why apple doesn't have its own tv service and instead sort of has gone to uh hey if you want to have a tv service you can make an app for apple tv but apple's not doing it yet yeah so all of this continues to be strange to me though like i don't know just just the idea <laughs> of there being tv shows but not in a tv thing uh and and it's and it's you outlined it there seems to be some kind of issue 
with getting the deals in place. But this isn't stopping Apple from pushing ahead, and they've they've picked up carpool karaoke. So the thing that upsets me about this, I guess, is that James Corden won't be a part of it. I think it's entertaining because yeah. of his ability to make it so. Mm. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do. And it would also be very peculiar for him to drop the most popular part of his late late show. I imagine that his that his segment will continue. Um. And then they'll also do these things, but I don't yeah. know how that's going to work. And if that's the case, it makes me think it will be with somebody who's not as good as him with less, less popular well, musicians. <laughs> and, it, well, and it makes me wonder, too, what's the format like? Is it going to be like the lip sync uh, challenge or whatever? Is it going to be something where it's like uh, two contestants do carpool karaoke and there's a winner or something? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that show, what that show looks like. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But just on the face of it, it's it's interesting that this is happening. Not a bad fit at all for, for Apple Music. Something I'm not sure about is like looking at what, how this fits into the stable. From what we know so far, there is the Dr. Dre produced series, is, is my right. understanding. Even though uh, there saw some news go by that uh, I think he was arrested over the weekend. <laughs> Which oh, is a, a whole different thing. That's um, another episode for the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some kind of uh, aggravation, some kind of violent thing. I think and he was arrested over. Um, I don't really... That's kind of being like rumor reported on. Like I, don't, I haven't seen any facts on it yet, but it, it seems right. like he was actually arrested. Apple employee, Dr. Right. Dre. Um, and then we've also got this uh, app show. Now, this app show, this Planet of the Apps... Yes. I, I'm unsure of whether this is going to be on Apple services or on television. I haven't seen that yet. I think that might be undecided. But this could fit into that stable. I think that was a direct Apple thing, but maybe I'm getting that wrong too. Right. I thought that was a direct um, from Apple thing. I don't know. We'll see. So yeah, just another addition to Apple's media right here. <sighs> Carpool karaoke. Lots of weird things happening these days. So Joe Steele in the chat room has given me a link to a Hollywood Reporter article about Dr. Dre. Um there was some kind of confrontation uh, in which he was handcuffed and issued a citation, but he's not going to be charged, but it was some kind of gun-related thing. Huh. It's a bit uh, it's not good, no matter how you look at it, really. Uh, I, I do wonder. I do wonder about this kind of thing. But uh, there you go. Yep. If you want to read about it, we've got something in the notes. All right, Jason, today's episode is brought to all of, all of everybody, including you and Ooh. me. By Casper. Brought to me. Oh, it's my goodness. It's brought to you. It's brought to the listeners. It's brought to me by Casper. Casper, the company that focused on sleep that has created the perfect mattress that it sells directly to you, the consumer, eliminating the commission-driven inflated prices that you might be used to seeing. Uh, I saw an ad on TV a couple of days ago um, that was for a mattress company, and they were trying to show off their, their wares. And in the ad, there were a couple, and they were laying down on the mattress, fully clothed, looking at the showroom person. And I couldn't help but think of Casper at this time, because I had done this. I've done this in the past, gone to a, a sh- mattress showroom and laid down on mm-hmm. a bed in my clothes and my shoes and felt so awkward and kind of really didn't come out of it knowing anything more than what I went in. We just bought a really expensive mattress because that was all we could do at the time. Casper is here to stop all of that. They sell direct to you, and they sell for great prices. 
They have an award-winning mattress that was developed in-house, has a sleek design, delivered in an impossibly small box. You don't need to sit on a mattress fully clothed talking to a showroom person to then decide that you're going to take this mattress home and sleep on it for the next 10, 15 years. Casper allows you to buy online. They will ship it to you. And it's completely risk-free because if you don't like it after a 100-night home trial, Casper will return it. They will take it back for free. They'll come and pick it up. They understand the importance of actually sleeping on a mattress normally before you commit. So that is something that Casper will get you. Their in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing their mattress. It is obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. For example, Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin size, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, or $950 for a king, and they're made in America. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create a mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. And bounce! Bounce! We all love bounce. And plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature through the night. Jason, I can feel you wanting to say something about Casper here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have a story, which is that they, they, this summer they did, uh, the nap tour, which they actually took a, a truck that looks like a Casper box, this blue truck hmm. around, uh, the East coast and the West coast. And, and, uh, I, I say this because I, I saw it. I walked past it yesterday in San Diego. They had the, uh, Casper, they had the, the, basically you could just come and take a nap on a Casper mattress out on the street, essentially, but it was really cool. And, and, uh, Lauren and I walked by and we're like, yeah, because we have that kind of Casper loyalty now because, um, we've been traveling for the last week and sleeping on things that are not Casper mattresses. And let me tell you, I miss my Casper mattress and I'm looking forward to sleeping in it tonight. In fact, you can give $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash upgrade and using the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. As maybe this isn't something worth sleeping on. I don't know. You can tell me. Apple's Q3 financial results were out last yep. week as well. Yep. There's a lot of stuff happening last week just after after the show. Good good, good time to for me to go on vacation. Perfect time. So I'm going to put... Um, couple of links in the show notes to some of your commentary and charts yes i spent my uh i spent my tuesday of my vacation i wrote i wrote i uh wrote four thousand words <laughs> launched a new podcast recorded another podcast happy vacation everybody <laughs> generated 15 charts <laughs> yeah anyway independent workers is what i'm saying here yep. is my yep. boss is a jerk and makes me work sometimes when i don't want to um yeah, so Apple's results came out, and and uh, you know it was a week ago now. People have seen it. I think what's fascinating about it is, first off, this is Apple. Apple's going to take it in the shorts for its quarterly results for the next couple quarters too. It's just going to happen because they had such a great quor- uh, year last year, the last fiscal year, and it's going to um, compare when you do a year over year comparison. It's going to look bad. It's just that that's just how it's going to be. The big difference is that uh, now people expect it. So the stock market actually reacted positively this time because and people were like oh look apple lost went you know went down year on year on revenue two quarters in a row and their stock went up how ridiculous is that and it always shocks me how people who seem to know nothing about how the stock market works um to comment on the stock market it's amazing uh so the the guidance was pretty good they're still going to go down year over year in revenue next quarter but uh it, it seems like they're they're um optimistic and in fact the analysts suspect that they're being a little conservative with their guess of um of uh of sales next quarter 
or the current the current quarter that we're in um and uh the you know the pessimism of the cooling down of the iphone is now built into the apple stock price so you're not, you're not going to have the the stock's not going to get smushed every quarter when the results yeah. came out because it kind of happened the air came out of the balloon uh, everybody like sort of got to grips with the new reality that they weren't going to keep on growing like they did last year and um and so on the on the a holistic level it's basically that which is um they they're still they're still struggling with their comparison to last year um they're still very profitable um this was the second best uh third fiscal quarter they've ever done uh but last year was the best <laughs> but if you compare this to 2 years ago it's better than that so it really is this aberrant year that uh you know but it's re- those those are real numbers i mean i don't, I don't want to apologize for it. it's like the aberrant year makes it tough to do year over year comparisons that said they had a great year and this year is not as great as that and yeah. that's yeah, I the truth i'll come back to that in a moment but like going back to what you were saying about the fact that it hasn't hurt the stock makes a lot of sense because the stock has already lost what it was going to lose when it was yeah. decided that the iphone wasn't going to do that what it did again exactly. so they're kind of now building on that and also you, know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Apple maybe did a better job telling the story beforehand. I think there seemed to be a lot more shock about what happened in the last quarterly results than maybe there should have been. I'm, I'm not sure, but like I felt like this time everyone was kind of expecting it. Um, yeah. Where last time maybe people were expecting it to, to be not so great, but not as not so great as it ended up being. And there were a lot of things coming out like, you know, maybe it wasn't just because they uh, had a really great sales, but also because they over-forecasted a little bit. Like, it, yeah. it seemed to be a bit of a disaster, where this time it felt like they were a little bit more in control of the message than they were before. Yeah, and the, and the Chinese uh, numbers that went down a lot last quarter, that was a bit of a surprise at how bad that yeah. was. And uh, it, it, they went down again, but it wasn't a surprise this time. And that, and that's just, that's how it works. All Everybody's expectations are built into the stock. Oh, hello. Uh, I want to just run down some of the actual numbers and and then I'll come back to that that, um, year-on-year thing that you mentioned a moment ago. So this quarter was $42.4 billion in revenue with $7.8 billion in profit. Um, and Apple met their forecast, as you said. I think they exceeded their forecast a little bit, didn't they, This on this uh, earnings? Maybe so. It was in the ballpark, yeah. Um, but as we said, still down on 2015. It was down, revenue was down 7.2 billion dollars year on year. So as you said, it's the same story as as last quarter, and that it was all about the iPhone 6 demand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, led to that quarter standing out. And and as I've heard you mention, we mentioned this last time. I've heard you mention this um, in other places, like on on Six Colors and on the uh, Secret Podcast about like if you remove that year, the growth curve continues, which is interesting, right? That if you look at um, year on year. If if you remove 2015 mm-hmm. and you look at 2012, 2013, 2014, and 2016, you can kind of fill in the gaps to see that it would have just been a steady growth continuing, right? Which is an, an interesting fact. But the fact of the matter is it can't be removed, and that's why we're in this scenario. Like It'd be great right. if we could just remove that year, but that year did happen. And I think, uh, and, and what you see it in the stock, uh, which again, uh, Apple stock price sort of doesn't interest me. I'm not an investor. I'm not going to be. But um, the what, what where you really see it is uh, people saw that growth and thought, oh boy, Apple just is keep going to keep on growing. This is great. 
And now we look at it and go, oh, that was an aberration. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you have to, you know, that you have to deflate all of that optimism that came out of the wild sales of last year. Like, look at Apple's growth. It continues to go. It's going to keep on going like this. And now we look at it and go, no, that was really just pent up demand for a larger screened iPhone. And so they sold a lot of iPhone sixes and that's, ne- you know, that's maybe never going to happen again, or it won't happen again for a few years. And that's not what their business looks like. It actually looks more like it did the year before. And, and that's, that's where we are. I would be of the persuasion that it will never happen again. It seems unlikely that, I mean, there could be a scenario like that, but that amount of pent-up demand where all of the rest of the premium smartphone market has large-screened phones, and Apple refuses and refuses and refuses, and then all of a sudden it comes out with two different sizes of large-screen phones, um, I think that did it, right? I mean, I, yeah. and that's that was unusual and probably won't happen again. But you never know. Never say never. There could be some other aberrant product that that leads to a rush on um, on on that. But it, it's unlikely, right? Because mostly you... Maybe it's, it's worth saying that it wouldn't happen again, I believe, with the iPhone. I, I feel like that the iPhone sure. as it is right now, that there isn't enough in that product market that we can see in the even relatively distant future that would differentiate it so much from competing smartphones you know we're, well, we're it, kind of getting to feature completeness with right. smartphones I think. well yeah that's always the challenge is that then, then it's just about a replacement cycle and new people coming in but but not the tech driving uh dramatic uh sales because the tech every year is so much better than the last year's yep. tech that that used to be the case and it isn't any longer that's been the source for the last like four or five years now of of the stories that people write which is smartphones are boring now and there's some truth to that is that they, the tech doesn't advance as fast as it did in the early days when they were starting with nothing and every year was this complete dramatic reinvention i'd also argue that it's just really hard to create a product so dramatically different that it it, that it makes everybody who's got a previous version drop everything and buy the new one immediately that's hard and you see it and we'll get to the ipad numbers in a little bit but you know that ipad pro 9.7 that's the flagship ipad that's the that that's a big jump in ipad and um you know you could argue that something like that could have really driven the ipad numbers and it didn't really happen (laughs) so i'm not sure that that product exists and also, you know, maybe, maybe the fact that it's different sizes wasn't even the reason. Maybe it was just China was the reason. And there isn't yeah. going to be another China. They're done now, right? Like yeah. for the, for the, again, for the foreseeable future, there isn't another China. You know, it might be India, but that's a long way away. Right. You know, before there is an, a, an emerging middle class, which the iPhone isn't available to. Um, right. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates are open. So, yeah, so I think that's kind of where we are with that, like kind of the quote-unquote. Let's talk about the iPad. Um, yes. My feeling is positive news, not necessarily sure. good news on the iPad. So the positive news being, and you can correct me here because I find this difficult, iPad year-on-year revenue is up. So Apple made more money than they did in Q3 of 2015. Yeah, but they didn't sell more of them. They still sold less. Now this yes. is because it was the least the less. Though. <laughs> I'm not. We're not getting less. into that right now. You just. <laughs> I can't listen to this. The the, the amount that their decre- their their sales are going down is decreasing. <laughs> I know it's madness. It's madness. So yeah, basically that 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 the average selling price of an iPad went up a lot. 
Yeah, and this is because the iPad Pros are more That's expensive, it. and they may be including accessories into this. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe these ones? I mean, they're kind yeah, of maybe. like... You know, it's possible. The pencil might be in there, but not in units. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know if that if that's the case or if those are just going in other. But uh, regardless, yeah. So so it's good. Well, I mean, and we'll say this. I mean, I joke about the the how it's the year over year revenue is down less, but it is true. It is it is sort of like almost at even, um, and the revenue increase or the the yeah the year over year units are are down less. The revenue increase. It's the first time in ten quarters that that's happened, and and. Uh, uh, really, it's the second time in like 13 quarters. Uh, the iPad has been falling in units year over year for a while now, for like two yeah. and a half, three years. And uh, and so it's actually kind of a big deal that this happened. Then again, you can argue that this is the, you know, they they, they already had the, the 12.9 iPad Pro out there. Now they've got the 9.7 iPad Pro. It's the mainstream iPad uh, size. And it's, it's, you know, pencil support for the masses and all of that. And, and they launch it and all they managed to do was barely eke out a revenue boost. <laughs> um, it's probably not the ideal time for iPad purchases. I think that iPad, like so much of Apple's business, does actually do well in the fall and the holiday yep. quarter. And they are, are set for that now because I don't think we're going to see new iPads until the spring. I think that they're they're set for that. But um, we'll see. So it's like good. Like you said, it's good iPad news. It's not great iPad news, but it's yeah. better than what we've had, which is bad iPad news. This is why, like, it's it's semantics, but like I'm saying, positive, not good, because there is some there is an there is a trend on a chart which is going up, which hasn't happened in a long time. But I want to see how the next few quarters go, because literally all this could be is the people that replace every time replacing again. Yeah. And well, Apple has made more money on it because those people now have to pay more money to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more or less, that's true. I mean, what I was going to say is that there, there's a line that keeps going up and it didn't used to go up. But it, that line in my charts on six colors, that line's still in the red, right? It's, it's, a, it's a negative number. It's not, it's, not actually, it's not actually going up. It's trying to reach the surface and start going up. Because it's it's still a loss. It's just less of a loss, and that's not oh. a great, you know. Woo! Yay! We lost less than we did last time. Is not really that exciting. Yeah. So if I could try and explain that a different way, because this is it, this part is so confusing. Is, I know. It seems like the analysts and Tim Cook and they're trying to paint this as a good thing, but all it means is they're still selling less of them, but the <laughs> yep. amount at which they're selling less is decreasing so if they sold uh, yep. 10 a year two years ago and then oh but then they only sold five the next year but now they're selling four so you can see there's a there's a much better loss there right it wasn't 50 yeah. percent. it was just a much smaller amount like you know so that that's kind of the way that i'm very much trying to simplify it because it has taken me a long time to get my head around yeah. this. Ba- basically, three quarters ago, Apple said, hey, uh, we sold a, a thousand... I'll just make up numbers. We sold a thousand fewer iPads than we did last year mm-hmm. at the same quarter. And then last quarter, they said, hey, we sold 500 fewer iPads than we did last quarter. 
And this time they're like, hey, we only we only sold 200 fewer iPads than we did last quarter. It's like, well, that looks like progress on one level. On another level, they still sold 200 fewer iPads than they did last year. Yeah. And also, it's it's fine if you look at it from the previous year. But if you zoom out, it's still losing yeah. massive amounts, right? And if you don't look at change, but you look at the actual numbers, what you're seeing is a uh, a chart that just keeps going down. But mm-hmm. it's going down slower now. So, so it is what it is. It, and then if you look at the revenue, you see a little tick up. So um, I, I think it's all of us who've been watching the iPad have been looking for a while for signs that it's hit bottom. And that because the idea here is that the iPad had an unnatural couple of quarters where everybody bought an iPad. Everybody like the iPad, iPad uh, 2 and the iPad then especially with the iPad Air 1, um, they uh, they sold a lot. And those are just sitting out there, right? People are using them. They're fine, right? And so now now we're in this moment of like, when when does the replacement cycle really kick in where we can get some idea of, in a normal period, again, not some kind of aberrant quarter or two, in a normal period, what does the iPad sales figure look like? And yep. when it's dropping every quarter for 10 quarters, you can't get a handle on it. Is it going to be a 10 million uh you know five million what what's the number per quarter that the ipad sells and we still don't know uh it may be that as we're watching it kind of hit bottom here this is it you know and maybe it won't even go up very much after this but maybe it won't go down very much and then we'll at least be able to peg and if you're an investor this is kind of a big deal peg like what's the size of the ipad business uh, but you can't when it's in free fall you can't tell so we're I, it looks like we're probably getting closer to that point um, and I think the next year, will, I believe that within the next year, we will know I agree. what the quarterly iPad sales look like. And it will probably be within the 9 to 10 million range a quarter. Now, the reason I think this is important is it is then that we can understand the importance of the iPad and the product line. Because right now, whenever we talk about the iPad, we focus on the fact that things are declining. And what we're not necessarily focusing on too much is the actual amount of units sold. Because yeah. if it is within that 9 to 10 million range, it's more than the Mac. And yep. we don't really say that the Mac is a disaster because it sells 6 million a quarter. That's just what the Mac is. But the iPad, it's easy to point at as a disaster because it keeps going down. So, But if it can stabilize... The expectations yep. were high, right? It was it, it sold started... It, it, its trajectory at the beginning was faster than the iPhone. So it's like, oh my God, pretty soon everybody on Earth is going to own four iPads, right? And that yep. didn't happen. And so now, now you're exactly right. I, I think what all of us who have been watching this have been kind of hoping would happen and thinking would probably happen. Although you don't know. I mean, even Tim Cook's like, oh, I'm bullish on the iPad, but he doesn't know either, uh, is that the iPad is going to settle in as a business that is comparable to the Mac business, which is a pretty darn good business, but it's not the iPhone. No, but that's nothing's the iPhone. Exactly. Oh, I I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, nothing. I I read a news story the other day about uh, Apple's results, and it, it was in like a serious publication, and they they said something about how you know Apple continues to search for a product uh, comparable to the iPhone. It's like, guys, that's just never going to happen. <laughs> the smartphone. The I mean, app, one another thing that wasn't in our show notes that ha- happened is Apple sold its billionth iPhone, and um that that's that kind of thing where you have the defining product in a category that is um that everybody on earth is going to 
buy in the course over the course of about 10 years it's going to go to almost everybody on the planet over the course of 20 years everybody will have one and will be considered standard issue for every human being on the face of the earth it doesn't happen very often it might not happen again in our lifetimes it probably hasn't happened in our lifetimes other than that Uh, and apple had that premier brand in that category uh, yeah, don't stop searching for another iPhone. <laughs> it's not. It's probably not going to happen. And it's probably, if it does happen, probably not going to be Apple. Just because, what are the chances? It's a it's it's a rare thing that happened. You know, and I I think to myself, if we we were always looking for that, right? That was what we were hoping for to find the product that would be as big as, or like fifty percent the size of, or seventy five percent size of the iPhone. And Apple have had quarters where that was the case, right? Where the iPad sold about half of what the iPhone sold, but they are yeah. anomalies, um, and yes. will always be anomalies now, like the anomaly of the crazy twenty fifteen quarters. Of the iPhone 6. Yeah, exactly right. But the iPad is a good category. If it's the size of the Mac and it continues to grow, I think that's the other thing that we would like to see is we'd like to see sales stabilize and then see what the growth curve is because you would hope that the sales would still show some growth um, in that category. But you've got to come off of the high and then like mm-hmm. find what's your new level and it, it still hasn't done that. But but a Mac business is a good business. That's a good size business to be in. That's uh, that's It's not bad at all. No. Um, so, you know, if we get the iPad to that point and it continues to be larger than the Mac, as a person who cares about the iPad, I consider that a, a great achievement because, you know, then we know that this product is deserving of the time and attention and yearly software and yearly hardware. <laughs> yearly hardware on the Mac, everyone. Do you remember? You remember? Yeah. Good times. Um, so, like, that, that's what I hope to see as someone who really cares about that. Is I, I, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping it ends up being. But I think anybody that does care about the iPad is going to continue to wait for that moment, and we haven't seen it yet. And, and that's why we keep focusing on this every yeah. single time is that moment is so important to that product. I agree. Hopefully, we'll get that in the next couple of, uh, next couple of quarters. It'll yeah. be interesting to see what the holiday quarter sales are for the, for the iPad, too. I really don't think it's going to be anything worth calling home about. Unfortunately, I just don't see it. If it again, if it's flat, if it's flat to slightly up, I mean that might be the best news. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's what I'm looking for. Is stop the decline. Yeah, bottom out, hit bottom, start coming back up. Hasn't still hasn't hit bottom. Well, it may have done. We don't know, right? This might be the bottom. That, that, that's the that's true. It may have. Yeah, you know, and the Mac, the Mac did go down, uh, but. You know, it wasn't because of the volumes. It's not. Yeah, and the Mac, the Mac quarter was bad. But anybody who knows, um, first off, the PC industry is bad in general, and um, everybody who knows the Mac knows that. Other than the MacBook, nothing has been updated. So you would not expect there to be anything driving sales other than the MacBook, which is one of the reasons why the average selling price of the Mac is down. Because I think the MacBook is the only one that's really selling. Um, and yeah. it's on the cheaper side, so it pushes everything down a little bit. So some other little tidbits. Uh, services continues to grow. It's up $5.8 billion in revenue for Q3 year on year. Uh, growing every quarter. And Apple quoted that uh, by next year, it will be the size of a Fortune 100 company. Yeah. Crazy. Services. iPhone, iPhone ASP is down, um, and this is expected to be because of uh, higher than expected demand for the 6SE. Wait, 5SE? 6SE. What is it? SE. 
S8. There we go. <laughs> just, there's no number, Mike. Don't put a number on it. You can't quantify the special edition. It is just the SE. There you go. So it's because of the SE, um, they reckon that it looks like that's been the case. Plus, Apple had to kind of dump an excess of the stock of the iPhone 6 line. So they did a yeah. bunch of deals, therefore driving the ASP down. Um, I do wonder, though, that even though the ASP is down, what the margins are like on the on the SE. I, I bet they're really good. I think they're pretty good, yeah. So, you That's know, it. I wonder, like, when you're looking at profit from that line, if that number is maybe not all it seems. So, I don't know. And mm-hmm. Apple is high on new technology, Jason. Oh, oh they are, Mike. They, they, Tim Cook in the analyst call talked about a lot of new technology that they're very excited about. He spoke about the Pokemans, didn't he? The Pokemans? He did speak about the Pokemans. He did mm-hmm. a couple of times. Being... How could, like, how, 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 how did he get that wrong? It's like... Like, it is the most popular application on the App Store in history, right? That someone must have briefed it. I think it. it's very easy to look at Pokemon and then try to pluralize it and think it's like man and and say man's, Pokemon, Pokemans. And he, somebody, maybe uh. somebody briefed him on it. I don't I don't know. I Everybody had a chuckle. And then, yeah, you know, I kind of moved on. Um, he did talk about, though, in, in the context of Pokemon Go, of, of AR... And uh, somebody asked about it because there's augmented reality as a part of Pokemon Go, although it's kind of a minor part. I actually turned it off because it's easier to play without without it on. Um, but the idea that you're interacting with things in the real world and then things that are seem to be in the real world but aren't, that's the augmented reality idea. That's what Microsoft is doing with HoloLens and Apple. Uh, you know, Tim Cook said AR is going to be big. He said AR is going to be big. We're, we got a lot of stuff we're looking at there. So he didn't he didn't you know try to pretend that apple's not interested in it in fact he predicted that it will be big and that uh apple is very interested in it i thought that was a uh, uh, something to take note of and they've talked about vr positively in the same way before so it sounds like apple's not apple's basically trying to send a signal that uh, that apple's not ignoring that market because there are people who freak out when apple's not the first company to market with an incredibly expensive kind of shaky technically but just barely technically possible thing in a new category because they think that somehow that's what apple should be doing which is not what apple does but people are like oh but microsoft has the hololens and and the and then the 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 vr headsets are coming out and where's apple apple's behind here it's like is apple behind apple hasn't come out with a product yet it doesn't mean that they aren't working on stuff but it's unlikely that Apple would ship something and say, well, this is a $3,000 developer kit for VR and, you know, we think we'll have a viable product in four or five years. They tend not to do that. And I think that's not in their nature. So I, I feel well, like this is signaling from Cook saying, yes, we are not ignoring VR and AR. Now, they may be behind. We, we don't know. But I, I, I think the absence of an Apple VR product or AR product today is not evidence that Apple is not working on something and that apple is behind can i take the cynics view sure the investors are waiting for apple to produce the next iphone so aren't they always yes but that's so but now now they know the iphone isn't going to grow anymore where's the next growth area so apple just has to talk about potential growth areas now is the way that i think about this oh sure they have to talk about this because what else are they going to do but but they have to what they have to do is send the signal. Well, they did that even more. They, what they're doing is they're sending the signal yeah. that Apple is working on new things. They did this with a watch because as well, they have to. They? Right? I mean, but this is the this is the uh, the argument is the other way to send the signal is to do what Microsoft does, 
which is say, here's a piece of tech that doesn't really exist and is completely impractical and won't be for sale for years, but look how awesome it is. This is the sort of thing we're doing. Apple doesn't do that. Apple doesn't cart out stuff from its R&D. It hasn't since Jobs came back in the 90s. Um, it, it just doesn't do that. So how do you send that signal if you're not going to do the Microsoft thing, which is pre-announced years before the product exists? The way you do it is what they're doing, which is we're very interested. What's the better option? Reasonable people can differ. I uh, I have always felt, as somebody who got to witness some of those Apple demos in the mid-90s that were for things that didn't exist, I have always felt like showing off something that's not real and that might never be real and that nobody can actually buy is kind of cheating because you're getting people really excited about a product that doesn't exist and they can't buy it. And what can they do? They can't do anything. They just have to wait. And Microsoft always used that as a tactic to destroy its comp- competition and and uh, turn uh, consumers away from the competition. I'm like, well, I don't know. Microsoft says they're coming out with something too, even if there's like nothing coming soon from Microsoft. That's, that's what they would do. They would scare off investors. Like, I don't want to invest in somebody because Microsoft's already said they're going to take you on. And sometimes those Microsoft products wouldn't actually ever even exist. Or if they did exist, they wouldn't be anything like they were promised. So I've always believed that that's a, kind of a shady business tactic. And I think it's bad for consumers because you're promising things you may not be able to deliver. Um, today's my Microsoft, I think, is better at it, but they still use those techniques. Well, they just did it with the Xbox. So, you know, they're saying we have an Xbox project in 2017 that's going to be really super powerful, but they haven't. Sure. And, no, and they're still you know, doing it. The HoloLens is the same. They've been talking about the HoloLens for like, like what, a couple of years now? Yep. And now they have a developer kit for the HoloLens for $3,000. Um, and and uh, that's, again, when is the HoloLens a real product that people are going to use? It's going to be a while yet. Um, so you could do that. Apple just doesn't play that game. That, that For whatever reason, and I think it's, it comes back to Steve Jobs' focus on shipping real products, and that that's always been their discipline has been we you know we ship a real product we don't promise we don't load you up with all of our amazing technology and get you you know stars in your eyes and then 3 years later ship something that disappoints you because it's not everything that we promised in our mock up because that wasn't based in reality uh, Apple's take is always, you know, we announce a product when we got a product ready to ready to show, and that's that's going to ship as that product. Even if they announce it six months in advance, like the Apple Watch, what they showed is basically what they shipped, and uh, that's not always the case if you pre-announce technology three years in advance. So that's Apple's earnings until next time. I tell you what, I have to say, at least these are more interesting to talk about. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I didn't even mention it. I mean, Tim Cook also dropped a line about like the R&D budget where he basically said, yeah, we're growing the R&D budget a whole lot. And most of that growth, almost in, almost all of that growth is in entirely new product categories, which was sending that same signal. That was the car signal, by the way, right there. Um, you know, that we're working on lots of stuff and we're not going to tell you what it is, but it's it's not new iPhones. We're working on new iPhones too, but this huge R&D budget increase you're seeing, it's not on new iPads and iPhones and Macs. It's Bob Manfield's salary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're just paying it to Bob. Big Bob, Bob is expensive. Big Bob. Yeah. <laughs> big Bob needs a big salary. Mm-hmm. This week's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com, and when you do, use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout to get 10% off your first 
purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. And when you do, it's going to look amazing because Squarespace gives you tools and templates that are professionally designed and engineered. It doesn't matter what your skill level is. You don't need to understand anything about coding. You need no coding experience, no web design experience, because you'll be able to make a website that looks and feels exactly how you want whilst retaining that professional Edge. Squarespace does this with their state-of-the-art technology, which also ensures security and stability. They are, these are the key reasons why Squarespace are trusted by millions of people around the world. You should be one of them. So Squarespace will give you 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are there to help you when you need it. They have their commerce platform, which allows anybody to sell things on their Squarespace site. We have been selling stuff at Relay FM through our Squarespace site. We have a great blog there and we have a great store there because why would we build that stuff ourselves? And Squarespace can just take care of it. Rock solid fast hosting, cover page functionality. I used that recently with uh, my new project, the Ring Post, to build a level little cover page so people could find out some information just proof that i have used squarespace for years and continue to if you sign up for a year you'll also nab yourself a free domain name as well so you can give your new website a great name squarespace plans start at just eight dollars a month you can sign up today for a free trial with no credit card required and start building your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com then when you decide to sign up make sure that you use the offer code upgrade at checkout to get 10 percent off your first purchase and show your support for this show thank you to squarespace for supporting this show and relay fm Ooh. so before we get into uh, Mike at the Movies uh, this week, shall we do a quick round of Ask Upgrade? Let's do it. Do a little Ask Upgrade. Richard wanted to know if we record the show over video or audio Skype. So do we see each other when we record? Um, we don't. We do don't. that. I don't do it of any show. Um, I know a bunch of people that do. Uh, I understand the benefits of it. I have been on shows where there is video, but no published video. And I hmm. can see why some people like it, especially if there's multiple people on a call, because people can give visual cues when they want to jump in, and that helps with the edit. But what I don't like is what I always do. I always find myself doing is I change the way that I talk and I talk knowing the person can see me. I show yeah. things and it doesn't come through in the audio. Uh, so that's that's why I don't do it, because I know that when I do that, the audio listeners, because there are only audio listeners to our shows, um, they actually end up in a worse position. This isn't the same yeah. for everyone. Not everybody is like this, but it is how I am. Well, that's how I feel when I'm on Leah Laporte shows is that they, they, you know, that is a TV production. It feels like you're on television and you have to realize that some fairly large percentage of their audience just listens to the audio. And even the people who watch it on video, because it's talking heads, they're probably not paying that close attention. So what will happen is people on that show will make reference to like video that's playing or they'll hold something up. And you realize, what do the audio people get out of this? Is it, it, So it's problematic. I'd also say there's just some purely um, pr- pragmatic reasons we do this, which is uh, video takes more bandwidth. And if you're having trouble having clear audio, uh, again, we all record our own ends of the conversation. So the bandwidth doesn't, uh, the people in the live chat room here, the, the, the live bandwidth problems, but people at home listening, everybody's at home, uh, to the podcast, uh, they, don't, they don't hear any of that, but we hear it. Mm-hmm. And so if you make that worse, it's harder to understand the other person. 
I'm also doing this over a mobile hotspot because of my internet connection. We're bandwidth constrained, and then and then you put on top of that that we're streaming it live, which means that we also have another uh, data stream going back out. <laughs> There's a lot going on, and so adding video unnecessarily uh, seems like a bad idea from a bandwidth standpoint too, because some people just don't have the bandwidth for it, and it makes their audio sound bad. And some place, some apps scale the video better. Like if the video, if the bandwidth's really bad, they drop the video out, or they just make it a little one frame every few seconds, but uh i i have i just sort of learned not to not to trust it we do use video for um, my podcast total party kill which is the dungeons and dragons podcast we do on the incomparable we use google hangouts usually for that although we've used um other stuff too and um you know that is uh that is sort of an experiment but um i think people like it there we're often referring to a map uh, and e- although the audio version, I think you don't need the map to understand it. We we got an unusual number of requests to see what the map was. And the fact is that people watching people play games on YouTube is a thing. It, people do that. So um, we do that now. We record that video. I put it together. I combine the video with a recording of the map. Um, because the map isn't on the the Google Hangout video that gets posted to YouTube. Um, it doesn't come through. It's just the people. So then I overlay the map video synced up and put the better quality audio on it and then release that as a video episode. It doesn't have the high quality kind of detailed audio edit uh, because uh, editing audio and video together, you know, is a very different thing than just editing audio. But we do it there and I like it and it works okay. Um, but you, with that, when you've got six or seven people all talking at once and video, it um, you miss a lot. So uh, I don't recommend it for everybody, but I see why people do it. So next up, we have a question from Brando. And Brando asked, is there an iOS text editor like BB Edit? You mentioned on the show, mentioned last week that you use BB Edit on the Mac. I know there isn't a BB Edit iPhone app um, or iPad app. So what do you use on iOS? And is it like BB Edit? I use OneWriter, and it's not really like BB Edit, but it's got uh, it's got some markdown features, which is what I use BB Edit for too, really. And it's got uh, macro language in in OneWriter's case. I think it's JavaScript. It's got some macros that you can use. Editorial is also very good if you prefer doing uh, writing macros in Python. But uh, and there are many, many, many others, and I've I've tried many of them, and I I switch back and forth all the time but one writer is the one that i'm using at present it's got nice dropbox integration good markdown support and so that's what i'm using right now but there are lots out there and they're all pretty cheap too so yeah cool good good tip walmart is walmart is really great um i've been i've been meaning to check out scrivener like i tell you what i've been thinking about doing it for uh to keep kind of a good log of all of the advertising copy that i write in oh. an application in some folders and to keep previous versions of all of it that could work so i'm not really doing that i just put them into our system and i just replace them every time um but there are some times where it could be useful for me to go back and refer to something um it's only ever happens a few times but when i then don't have it it's like oh man i wish i had it so i've been thinking about it i've been thinking about that or maybe i think ulysses could do the same so i've been meaning yeah. to trying them both out um but yeah, so that that might be something for later on. 
Rajiv asked, will the next iPhone storage capacities be 32, 64, or, and 128 gigabyte, or 32, 128, and 256 gigabyte? My favorite thing about this question is that Rajiv seems to be completely ignoring any possibility of a 16 gigabyte phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I'm not sold on whether there will or won't be one. Um, if Apple put out a 16 gigabyte version of the iPhone 7, I will think I will be disappointed, not surprised. Because they haven't done it yet, so why would they? But anyway, I think if the rumors are true that we've been seeing about there being three iPhones, the iPhone 7, the iPhone 7 Plus, and the iPhone 7 Pro, if yeah, that, that's to be believed, it'll be regular Plus and Pro, I think there will be a 256 gigabyte. Um, other than Makes that, sense. I'm not sure that there would be a 256. I, I don't think... The need for a 256 is there, other than as a way to charge a higher price. Um, I don't. I don't think the 256 gigabyte iPhone is required by as many people um, as it is for something like the iPad, where there's likely to be more uh, movies and stuff on that kind of device. Uh, we'll see. What do you, do you agree with that thinking? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's more likely that they'll do 3264, 128, and then it's what you're saying, which is on some models that are considered high-end models, maybe they offer it as a 3264, 256, or 32128, 256, or 64128, 256, right? It depends. I, but but offer on certain models, like like an iPhone Pro, if there's that, something like that, a... Uh, uh, something like they do on the iPad Pro, where there's a there's a a big jump at the that that you can get at the top end. It, it could I, that's that's where I would see it. But I think the thirty two sixty four one twenty eight is the most likely, just because Apple tends to be really conservative. I'll I'll use a generous word there with what uh, specs it puts in those those devices in terms of storage. But hey, if uh, somebody wants to pay, I mean, you could really argue like the margins on going from 128 to 256, given what Apple charges, are so huge that why wouldn't you offer it as an option other than the complexity of the of the SKU? Because um, I don't think they're going to do four. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. But um, if you're on something that's already a high end system that costs a lot of money, I could see them doing it there, like you said. And Eddie asked, uh, this is a question that I think I have an answer for. I don't have an answer for. So if anybody uh, has a better answer than this, then please let me know. Eddie wants to know, uh, how can I export all of the photos from my messages on iOS? I have too many to do one at a time. Um, I, I mean, one thing I'll say to Eddie is change your process now. Like from now on, if you're receiving photos that you think you might want, start saving them to the camera roll. That, that would be my, my number yeah. one recommendation there. Um, I would suggest, Eddie, that you check out Phone View by Ecamm. Now, what I know they can do is export your messages into uh, a way that they can be read in their application or can export them as like PDF documents and stuff. And that includes your pictures. But I don't know if they're able to export a file for you which just extracts the photos or if the file that they give you you can pull images from so like it might be a way that you could export them all to a folder and then could find a way to extract the images from those folders 
Um, other than that, I don't know. There are a bunch of backup utilities and stuff, but I don't want to recommend necessarily recommend them blindly. I'm recommending an app to you that I have used in the past, so I believe it to be good. Plus, Ecamm are responsible software developers. I use their products. I'm using their. I use their products every single day yep. with their core recorder. So I would suggest checking that out. They do have a free trial, so you can go and do it. Um, other than that, I, I'm I'm not sure of of what else could do it. Um, uh, or at least you know when I was googling, I was finding some stuff, but I wouldn't recommend that stuff because I can't trust them. Mm. So I would say give PhoneView a go. If it doesn't, I'm not sure. If out there, listener, you know how Eddie can get the photos from his messages, then please uh, write in and we'll provide follow up later on. Okay. So that is uh, our ask ask upgrade segment, which means it is time for Mike at the movies. To celebrate our 100th episode, you chose Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Can you sum up why this was your choice for episode 100? Why The Wrath of Khan? Why not something else? Well, we have a spreadsheet, and it lists movies uh, that that you haven't seen, and some that I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation, too, where we were talking about Star Trek, and you mentioned that you'd seen the new Star Trek movies, but not any of the old Star Trek movies. And that shocked and appalled me. And yeah. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I thought you should watch it, because uh, then you will have seen it. And if nothing else, I would also say that, like, um, do you watch the James Bond movies? Do you watch those? Of course I do. I love the You're James English. I, I think it's probably the law that you... You watch them. It's in our um, school's curriculum. Yes, exactly, as it should be. Um, I would say uh, Goldfinger, follow me here, Goldfinger is relevant not just because it's um, uh, a good James Bond movie, and the one of the earliest, the third James Bond movie, but I think it's relevant in that I think you could probably look at every James Bond movie after Goldfinger as being an attempt to do Goldfinger in some way to be Goldfinger that Goldfinger ended up becoming sort of the template for a James Bond movie. I agree. Um, and I could, I could argue having seen all the Bond movies myself, I could argue to the detriment of the series as a whole, because sometimes I feel like, uh, they, the Bond movies needed to try and not be Goldfinger and just do something different. And instead they kept on kind of replaying the aspects of Goldfinger, not always the same aspects, but replaying the aspects. I would make that same argument for Star Trek two. I feel like Star Trek two, which was coming on the heels of, uh, uh, st- uh not very successful, very expensive and not generally well-liked Star Trek, the motion picture, although it did actually do well in the box office. It was not critically successful and everybody thought it was pretty boring. Um, they gave them a smaller, but a much smaller budget to make this movie. And, uh, people really liked it. It was a critical success. It did pretty well at the box office. And then they made many more Star Trek movies after this. Um, that's all great, but I also feel like the weight of Star Trek two on every other star trek movie that i i, I see it, all the jj abrams produced star trek movies have it and star trek into darkness is essentially a a, a two-hour homage to star trek 2 and uh but even the next generation movies feel like you can see uh, the, the way the villains are constructed in star trek movies it's just so much of star trek on film is an attempt to kind of recreate or quote Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. So on that level, I kind of feel like it's worth watching just from 
um, as a representative of the best of the original crew movies and as the movie that sort of defined what people were going to try to do with Star Trek movies after that. So, thank you for your opening statement. That is my opening statement. Turns out I wasn't expecting it, but there it was. I have an opening statement. Okay. So my opening statement is my feelings that I wrote down before I watched the movie. This is Mike at the Movie style here. Okay. I was not excited about this movie, Jason. I had been dreading it. (laughs) I don't know why. I just thought I wasn't going to like it. Uh, I don't know why. There's a a reason. There's a reason why I hadn't picked it up till now, too, is I've been a little worried about it, too. (laughs) And this is... Because I think this ends up in why I ended up just watching it this morning. We picked this weeks ago, but I watched it today. I put it off yep. to the very last moment. But I do actually enjoy watching them on the same day because they're fresh in my mind. Um, one of the reasons that I wasn't looking forward to this is that I have such little knowledge about Star Trek and especially this crew. Like, I know these people to be the Star Trek crew, right? Like, we just know this about them. You know, sure. Shatner and Nimoy, like... They are synonymous with Star Trek, but I've never watched any of it, so I have no feeling about them, right? It's right. just not something that I have ever paid any attention to, so it's just been a thing that I had no, absolutely no attachment to, and I thought that was going to hinder my enjoyment of the movie because my instinct was that you would only really enjoy it if you were coming to them with both existing emotional attachment and knowledge of the TV show and previous movie. That was my feeling. I was coming mm-hmm. into the, the sequel. So that I figured I would not enjoy this movie. I have a question for you. Yes. Were these the TV show actors? Like this is the crew that were in the TV show, right? Yes, and I would okay. actually say it's not a sequel. It's funny because it's Star Trek Two, because the motion picture was was completely different in terms of right. production design okay. than this than this movie. And the producers were different. The creative team was essentially different. Just the uh, really just the actors are the same. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it might it might be a sequel in name only, but two suggests sequel true to me, well i mean right? and on oh, and star trek right i mean it's at the very least it's a sequel to 70 some odd uh episodes of a tv show that became successful and then they made a movie and now here's another movie right you're coming in mm-hmm. you're coming in 80 hours late basically yep it's difficult for me to tell because of when the movie was made so when when was it 82 82. Yeah, so it's it, it's the the core cast, the seven core cast members are from the original Star Trek. There are other actors in this that were not seen in the original Star Trek. Ricardo yeah. Montalban was in a, a, an episode of the original Star Trek that this is the sequel to. If it, if it is a oh. sequel to anything, it is to an episode called Space Seed where they find Khan floating in space and they bring him on board the Enterprise and he tries to take the Enterprise over and they they beat him and uh, put him on a planet and say Interesting. Uh, inst- instead of arresting him and taking him into prison they put them all down on a planet that is rough but they should be able to make a living there and they say well it'll be interesting to check back in a hundred years and see what the uh the supermen can uh, can do with this planet and that that was so so Montalban was in that um all the other actors in this have not been in star trek before kirstie alley wasn't in star trek before uh merritt buttrick and bb besh who play carol and david marcus were not in star trek before um just uh just Montalban and then the core sort of seven cast members so I think I'm going to have a really weird opinion of this movie, which... You watch Star Trek Into Darkness before you watch Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, so you've already got a very weird perspective on this movie. The thing movie. is, though, like, yeah, but they, didn't, they don't feel like 
anything close to each other other than the names we used to me. It just yeah. doesn't feel like at all the same movie. Like the plot is so different. Uh, I Oh, I agree. It's really the stuff at the end that is quoted yeah. directly by the other movie. Yeah. And like that one scene, like the scene yeah. where everybody... Well, it's not everybody. The scene where there's like the the death, right? And the, but they wrote they reverse the roles, right? Exactly. Um, and also, it's not the same anyway, right? Because uh, Kirk lives. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There is that one little thing that. Well, well, I'm spoiler for for movies from the '80s. They bring Spock back too. I guessed that <laughs> that the end of the movie couldn't write that more if it tried. I, I know. I was honestly expecting for like Spock's hand to come out of the casket <laughs> at the end. Like that's that uh, the this planet generates life it generates life you say like oh come yeah, I on know. i know i know it's true yes well star trek 3 is called the search for spock and guess what they find spock <laughs> but anyway that's not about this is not about star trek 3 um so what i was going to ask you and what, what i was saying like the reason this is difficult for me because of the time it was made was this movie did it have a big movie budget or is it like an extended episode of the TV show, budget was like oh uh, well, it's more. I mean, the TV show. If you see any of those old TV episodes, the budget was a lot lower for those. Um, but it is not. So Star Trek: The Motion Picture was made on an enormous budget, and um, like I said, it was it's really boring. Uh, this was made on a much much smaller budget. Um, so it is it is. I wouldn't say a low budget movie, but I would say it is a it is a, a modest budget for a science fiction feature film in mm-hmm. 1982 okay cool all right so um i feel like i'm gonna hold off my feelings about this movie because they change so much throughout my notes i i don't want to spoil it because i'll have to give it won't make sense i don't think okay so where do you want to start start at the start i'm gonna go co- chronologically through my my thoughts here kobayashi okay. maru i know what this is yeah, well, this is one of those things that's been quoted. The J.J. Abrams movie, the first J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek movie, we see Captain Kirk cheat at the Kobayashi Maru, and this is where that originated, is yeah. in this movie, where we see... And it's funny, uh, one of the funny things about this, uh, the way this mo- movie starts, is it's the bridge of the Enterprise, and everybody we see is familiar, except instead of Kirk as the captain, there is this Vulcan woman played by Kirstie Alley, yep. sitting in the captain's chair. And it's meant to be like, what? It's a double <laughs> like, fake out, right? It like is, it's, right. There's a new crew, and then they all die. They all die. <laughs> but it's it's a simulation. And so, like, one of the moments is ruined for me in this movie because I know that Kirk cheats. Yeah. To beat it. That's because true. I've learned that from the other movie because that, that was a, a important plot point later. So, yes. like, and then... Uh, there's, they kind of have the fake out, and everybody is established, and we find out that Kirk is now an admiral, right. and it's his birthday. And there is a lot being set up here, uh, which I think is a good way to play it because of how everybody looks, that everyone's getting old. That is a big theme about this movie. Yeah. These actors, I mean, I don't know how old they are, but they look TV old to me. So point. the... the um. I think the implication, and it's never said outright, is that Captain Kirk is turning 50. Okay. And that, that that's what's happening here. Um, another funny note is that Star Trek, the motion picture, I would argue, tries to make them seem like... It, it feels much more like a continuation of the original series. Like, well, yeah, it's 10 years later, but we're still off for some dashing adventures with your young TV crew. They're a little older, but still we're off. And here, 
which is only three years later in this movie they're like no they're getting old like that that is what this movie is about it's about getting old and coming to terms with your mortality and all of these things and so it's a and i think to this movie's great benefit that's what they decided to do with this movie as opposed to the the movie three years before and if you see pictures from it they're all wearing like uniforms that look like they're like in pajamas um and and they're they're like fighting against age and here they're embracing it or at least being aware of it from the very first scene where where uh kirk says gallivanting around the cosmos is a game for the young and he walks out and they're like what's his problem yeah so it's like <laughs> it's his birthday they have all these new crew and these new recruits that spock is leading because kirk is an admiral now and spock is now a captain one of the ways that I really like that they set up the age thing with Kirk is having him have reading glasses and they come up with like an in-universe reason that oh, yeah. he has to have reading glasses, which is like allergic to some drug that people take now, which is genius. It fixes your vision, yeah. And he's like, no, yeah, I know. So the doctor, Dr. McCoy comes over and says, normally I'd give you this drug, but instead have these old glasses. And also yep. he brings illegal whiskey. Or Romulan ale. Romulan ale. I don't know why they call it ale, but then drink it like it's whiskey. Why didn't they just call it Romulan whiskey? That's how the Romulans do it. No. I don't know. No, unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> uh, yeah, at the uh, Star Trek uh, experience in Las Vegas when that was open, you could you could order a Romulan ale. It was blue. Was it a short drink? Uh, no, it was an ale. It was yeah. an actual See, beer. What's ale. going on here? It's ridiculous. And it was blue. Yeah, I know. Um, and then I'm going to kind of jump around in this a little bit because I, 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 I tend to write more like exhaustive notes, but I, I didn't with this one um, just because sometimes these can run forever. Uh, what true. I'm going to jump to next is when Chekhov and his captain, who I believe his name was Terrell. Yes. They investigate a planet to be used for an experiment. And all yes. we kind of know at the moment is it's an experiment. And they come across someone's living quarters and Chekhov freaks out when he sees Botany Bay. Oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> and then he whispers, Khan, like that. Um, and then it's established, Khan uh, appears and him and his crew capture Chekhov and Terrell. And Chekhov refers to Khan as a product of late 20th century genetic engineering. Right. Which, which is good because it then proved to me why he was so strong. Now, this is where the story goes a bit weird for me as someone who has no prior experience. It's really interesting to me to know that people that watched the franchise would know all about Khan. Well, but the way the movie is structured, right, is they don't want just people who have an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek. So if you if you know that episode, you're like, oh, yes. But if you're if you don't like you don't they need to explain it for you because they i think they have to assume that most of the people going to the movie in 1982 are not going to remember that episode of star trek from 1968 sure but the reason i mention this is because they do explain it but they explain it in such a way that the story makes kirk sound like a villain to me yeah from well from khan's perspective he is for sure but even the way that chekhov explains it is like we we marooned this guy here like we sent him right. here and him and his crew were basically just sent to either to die or to make their own way and Chekhov says that Khan tried to kill Kirk which was yes, what he, made right. me realize that there was some kind of evil doings here but right. the whole That's time true. and and this actually is something that prevails throughout the whole movie to me is like who is good and bad I, I, <laughs> I've really struggled to work it out 
well one of the good uh, a good villain has a motivation and i think that's one of the strengths of khan is that we even though yes he's a madman out for vengeance he has his reasons because as chekhov says on SETI alpha 5 there was life and a, a chance that they 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 put him on a good planet where they could make a living and not be miserable and in this this is an inhospitable desert that they're in um and uh and then Khan replies with the classic line, This is Seti Alpha Five, which is, oh crap. Um you know, this is not the planet I thought it was. Uh Chekhov is is a little confused here because Chekhov is expecting to see a fairly lush, you know, world where they're able to establish themselves instead of this complete, like, ruined desert. But yep. something happened and a, a planet exploded or whatever, and uh, it ruined the ecology of this planet. So uh, Kirk has unwittingly sent them to basically uh, 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 almost like a death sentence on this. A terrible subsistence living is all that they can manage in this on this desert planet. So Kirk's uh, little plan to get, to let them not be put in prison has backfired and made Khan furious and his wife died and he's very angry he then uh khan plants these bugs yep the seti eels into very realistic looking ears um of <laughs> Terrell and chekhov <laughs> so people remember from this movie a lot is the bugs in the ears <laughs> and because it's horrifying um and these bugs wrap around uh the, the cerebral cortex and, and make people very suggestible until they go mad mm-hmm. um, and i'm pretty sure he said mad and die even though yeah Chekhov doesn't die. Well, that's because it comes out. Like it's not explained why that happens. Yeah, Don't it's like for fun to close attention, but it pops. It pops out of his ear, and it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I saw that it came out, but it's like, why did it come out? Like you know, it, it, yeah. that is just not explained. Just like, oh, Chekhov lived. He was very angry or upset, and it ran away. I guess. Yeah, it's not explained at all. Um, and then uh, we go back to Kirk. Kirk is taking. Um, He's 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 at the Enterprise. He's gone for an inspection with some of the old crew, uh, including uh, is it Bones? He goes with Bones, Sulu, and Uhura. Right? They yeah. go they go to make an in- inspection on the Enterprise, um, and very quickly Kirk takes control of the Enterprise to investigate a research facility. After he's received, uh, is it does he receive a mess? Yeah, he receives a message that they can't fully understand. Yeah, there's a garbled message he gets from Carol Marcus, who um, who he knows we are we are led to believe that they have a they have a past because McCoy brings it up. Uh, we see that we see her with her son earlier, where they get the call from Chekhov, but we don't know it's her son yet yeah that's true it's just a tall blonde fellow yeah um but they uh he does he not call her mother at that no, point he Any, doesn't. A- anyway um you know they're skeptical because of uh you know he doesn't trust the federation he doesn't trust the 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 captain kirk um all of all of these all of these things are going on with the poor these poor scientists who are being uh who are the Chekhov ship is trying to trying to work for them and now they're worried that the military is going to take their experiment away from them and so kirk has to her kirk gets the the garbled message from her and uh that they're taking genesis why are you taking genesis and it breaks up jammed at the source which yep. is a bad sign and uh and so then kirk and Sp- or spock and mccoy are like uh genesis anyone and he has to explain that it's a weapon uh, it's supposed to be a scientific tool but it could be used as a weapon if you fire it at a planet a devastating it will turn it, weapon it, it will turn it into a new planet with life uh on it but if there's life on the planet it will just destroy the planet and replace it with new life instead. So then we get Kirk taking control 
of the Enterprise again after a great exchange between him and Spock, where Spock's like, I know you want to do this, like, just do this. <laughs> like, let's just stop. He's like, I, I have no ego to be bruised here. I'm a yeah. Vulcan. Like, just take control of the ship. So he does, and you can see how excited he is. Like, he's super happy to take control again. Um, the Genesis device is a really great MacGuffin. Yeah, it's their nuclear bomb, basically. Yeah, it's very well made. And it's also, you can see why it exists. Like, so many of these things that become weapons like why why does it exist in the first place like why would anybody build this it's obvious how terrible this is going to go but with this one it's like yeah it could go bad but the good is so good it's worth doing well it's made by idealistic scientists who i mean it's this constant push and pull between the scientists who build things and the mm-hmm. military that deploy them and the argument here is that they're building this because the uni- the, the galaxy is filled with lifeless planets and we can use this technology to instantly make them livable to terraform them and that is fantastic because then there are more places to grow things and to, for people to live um the demo reel by the way is one of the first um, substantial pe- pieces of computer animation in any motion picture. That's an entirely computer animated um, demo where they where they shoot mm. the missile onto the dead world and zin- like zip mm-hmm. through on the surface and come back around on the other side and it's a living world. That's that's basically the first big piece of CGI in any movie. I bet that cost a lot of money. I, I think it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, is Khan's chest real? You know, I th- I, I want to believe. <laughs> I don't think it is. It looked very fake to me. Um, and it was just... I kept looking at it. It's like, you got a real chest there, Ricardo. I couldn't tell. I don't think it was. It looked too perfectly sculpted. It's very It's very impressive, though, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the fact that it's on show as much as it is makes me think it's not real. Hmm. Um, I don't know. But if it was real, bravo, Ricardo. Bravo. you did good work there my friend did good work indeed um i found it really interesting how so they have their first encounter right uh where it's ship versus ship because khan's taken control and and he's brought the what was the name of the ship the reliant and they've kind of uh tricked they've tricked um the, the Enterprise into believing right, we're all one happy wrong. fleet. Yeah, you know we're, they don't have their shields up. It's a really nice exchange where they get, as Kirk says, he gets caught with his britches down, um, and they get, and then he has to Kirk has to reason a way out of this, a trick to survive because Khan is just going to blow them up. So then there's like a, he he ends up overriding the the control panel because it's a failsafe built in for this very reason. Also yep. very believable. This movie is very well written for the way they get oh, out of I things. Um, they're all plausible, and that is very plausible. It's like, well, of yes. course you have an override, right? And of course right. nobody knows it, right? <laughs> like it's like it's got to be kept secret. It's the point of the override. And Scott McNulty always points out that you probably shouldn't have the password to control your starship be six digits, but it was 1982. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have the computing power, I no. guess, maybe in the future, the history past. Um, and so then there's a, they end up, they fight back and, and that kind of thing, and, and they end up scaring them away, effectively. It gets really right. dark here um, in, in a way that I didn't expect. The injuries are very graphic um, of the crew of the Enterprise, and the one guy that dies... Yeah, the one crewman, the the young engineering crewman, uh, has horrible burns and and dies. And leaves the literal blood 
of himself on Kirk. On Kirk's, yeah, on Kirk's jacket for, for as long as he wears that jacket. It's very ham-fisted, right? Like, the, the blood of these people are, is on Kirk. But it still makes the point that for the next while, you were very aware of the mistake that Kirk made. Even right. though I feel a, a, a bad point in this movie or a point that could be done differently is he feels, he shows no remorse for this, Kirk. Like, they have that one moment in the in the medical bay but at no other point in this movie is it even referenced that a bad call from him or not reacting well enough resulted in all these young people dying on their first mission, which they were never right. supposed to go on in the first place, which he urged to go on because he was so desperate to go on another mission. Like, this is never really called up by anyone, including him. And especially when at the end of the movie, like, this one's like, you've never faced death like this before, have you, Dad? Like... What about all the people that died? Yeah. No, I think it's a good point. And, and, we, and also there's a moment where, you know, he's really responsible. His, his judgment, I think it's all weighing on him throughout. But um, I agree it's not, it's not uh, dire- as directly as dressed as maybe it could be. Um, there's a funny, uh, quirky, you know, I, it's not a funny moment. But there's a moment where, um, where Terrell says to him later, he blames you for the death of his wife. And Kirk says, I know what he blames me for. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it is a reminder that you know, Kirk got them into this. Not only did he take the ship and then and then keep the shields down and and allow all that damage to happen that he has to then kind of w- work his way out of. But he caused this problem. Like it's his problem, and it's come back to haunt him. Yeah, he made a previously bad decision to to exile these people and everyone around him. Yes, the the, the kind of the brutalness of it all continues as Kirk beams to the. Uh, research facility. The space station, yeah. And they are brutally murdered, all of the scientists, and, like, hung? It's, yeah. It's very brutal. Like, uh, this this movie um, is not as happy-go-lucky as I was expecting an 80s <laughs> no. Star Trek movie to be, in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that is um, something I should or shouldn't have expected. Star Trek Four is the happy-go-lucky movie you want, okay. but this is not it. Yeah. I don't know if it's what I want. I actually think I prefer this because yeah. I think part of what I was dreading was it was just going to be like bubblegum space movie. Oh yeah. Oh no, it's it's. Uh, I like this. In fact, the um, so in the eighties, I I, uh, I had the novelization of Star Trek Two, and one of the things that I really like that's not in the movie that's in the book is you spend way more time with these scientists, and you see when Khan comes and they're trying to get away as the Khan and his people are uh, killing them and it's horrific. And here all we get is the, we get the aftermath, which is they beam down to the station. Where is everybody? And there's a whole bunch of dead scientists hung upside down with their throats cut in the middle of this thing. And you just get the sense like um, something, you know, this is a murder scene and the the movie, you know, you, you get it, but you, you don't see all that horrible violence, but obviously this is a place of horrible violence. Somebody con con came here and killed the scientists who were working on Genesis and he didn't get what he wants apparently because he's still asking for it. So what's that It's also that about? not completely clear. I wasn't expecting this. Um, like a couple of reasons. I think the movie sets it up well. Like Chekhov says it will be three days until they get there. Now obviously he was tricking them. He was lying. Yeah. 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 Um, so that, but I didn't realize that. It didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. Um, and also when Khan comes to attack the Enterprise, there's no reference made to the fact that their mission was so far unsuccessful. Right. So 
So it was a surprise to see everybody dead. I was expecting them to get there and all the scientists were going to be there, you know, and then they were going to work on a plan together. Yeah, it's a, they leave that moment for, for the, for the characters from, from the enterprise to discover yep. that, uh, that there's nobody, there's nobody there. And that's the, uh, it's a, a, an interesting, I mean, not only is it horrible and you're like, Oh, Khan was already here. He killed everybody. Then he came and, and, and asked us about this. What's that about? Did he not get what he wants? What's going on? And then it gives them a little mystery to solve on the space station of what's going on here. Um, and then they meet Terrell and Chekhov. They're like hidden away in there. And, and it's, it's interesting at this point because I genuinely couldn't tell who they were working for. Uh-huh. Which is, again, very well written. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, all, all I know is they're suggestive, suggestible, right? Like that they can be, they can be kind of swayed. So like my thinking is, are they being swayed by Khan still, or is now like are they looking at Kirk and doing whatever he wants him to do? Like it's really hard to at this point to place. Like who are they working right. for? Like were they just left there, which they could have conceivably just been left there because they were right. useless now? Chekhov says we we beat them. The you know the captain was strong, and and the implication is that they just left him behind. Khan left him behind because mm-hmm. they weren't of any use to them anymore. But then uh, when they then beam down to the site where all the Genesis stuff is being held underground on a planet somewhere, um, Terrell and Chekhov turn on them, but then yeah. Terrell kills himself. Right, Khan uh, saying fire, you know, kill yeah. him, and he he turns the he 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 turns the phaser on himself, and then pulls the trigger, and then Chekhov's bug jumps out of his ear for fun. <laughs> yeah, ah, he screams and and is and is dead because he's a he's a regular character, and we don't want him to die, so yep. he just lays down. And Khan Khan knew where they were because Terrell or Chekhov were wearing like, this bracelet. Now, yeah, that, it wasn't completely clear what happened previously, like how Khan knew. Like, I didn't get that. I was like, how does he know? Like, he went to a scene and it was like he was like he was in the next room or something. It was very confusing. But then it later I worked it out. Yeah, because uh, Terrell says, Your Excellency, have you been listening? Yeah. And Kirk, yes, I have been listening. <laughs> so I think they could have done this part without the scene where they show Khan listening. Because that actually made it more confusing for me. Because uh, I couldn't work out how he was hearing them. Um, and then we, you know, it's it's obvious then that there's like some kind of bracelet, which Kirk then screams Khan twice yeah. into, right? Yeah. So it's it, they're doing their they're doing their like back and forth with each other. Which one of the things I don't know if you realize this, if you notice this, but um, you know, Kirk and Khan are never in the same physical space. The actors were never together in this movie. I did not realize that until you just said it. <laughs> they, they're they're on screen with each other and they're over the bracelet, but they're never in the same room together. At any point, Montalban and Shatner are never in the How same room together. How uh, interesting! Because I felt like they were all the time. <laughs> I know, right? And, and the back and forth here is really great too, because this is they they they're both trying to outbluster one another, um, but uh, but Khan takes uh, so so uh, Khan takes the Genesis device. So Khan wins this round because that was that basically Kirk just did Khan's job for him. Khan couldn't figure it out, but Kirk figured out where it was, led them right to it. And now they've stolen the ultimate weapon. And what's worse, they've stranded Kirk and his people in the middle of this asteroid, in this cave in the middle of this asteroid. So Khan and Khan says, I could kill you, but I'm not going to bother. I'm going to abandon you like you abandoned me. And he takes off. We then find out that Kirk has a son. Yes, the blonde guy is David yep. Marcus, and then that—that's the back history with Carol. Is mm-hmm. that uh, 
is that this is uh they they had a son and he stayed away and and uh david doesn't even know that he's his son and they had used this planet to use Genesis Underground, and then they have this incredible-looking facility where we believe that they're going to be stranded to for a while, right? They go out and they eat in this this place. And it is then that Kirk realizes, uh, kind of, he lets us know that he was bluffing about a previous communication between him and Spock, where Spock told him it would take two days before they could be repowered, but Kirk and Spock because they know each other so well they knew that, that right. there was bluffing going on in case they were being listened to which they were and two days actually just meant two hours and they tricked Khan so Khan thinks that they're stranded this is right after he reveals to Savik about what he did in the Kobayashi Maru test at the beginning of the movie this came up it's like you know it's like there's no way to win and he gives the usual line of well you got to deal with death and then here they're eating like apples sitting in the ca- on the cliff of this cave and uh, she says I would like to know what you did and he's and uh, I think it's Dr. McCoy is like you're looking at the only kid who beat the no win scenario and he says yeah I, I reprogrammed the the test you cheated <laughs> changed the conditions of the test so that i could win i got a commendation for original thinking and she's kind of aghast and that you see that play out in the in the jj abrams 2009 star trek you get yep. to see him reprogram the the simulator and all of that uh much to spock's consternation in that movie uh but with bones's help which is kind of a funny little bit that that the, and he's eating an apple in star trek 2009 when that all goes on which is a callback to them sitting here eating Uh. apples in the cave um and then immediately like out of nowhere after he said see how clever i am i reprogrammed the test and they're like oh well i don't know if i can trust you he just pops out the communicator and is like kurt spock you ready and and as an audience member i was like what yeah yeah i couldn't work out what had happened this is captain kirk's magic trick he's like he's way ahead of you he's figured it all out and you're just you're just waiting for him to figure it out it's yeah i I love that scene because he explains like i don't i don't ever accept that it's a no-win situation and i'm not going to do it now either and let me demonstrate spock's waiting for me let's get back up to the ship i love that scene so they then kind of trick Khan a little bit so they're going into this nebula and and this nebula would mean that none of the systems could be used right none of the tracking systems or the shields yeah the idea is that the enterprise is really uh crippled more than the uh the reliant is but if they go into the nebula the odds will be even uh because nobody can use their shields and nobody can see particularly well and so it'll be it'll be a fairer battle because they can't beat them in 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 clear combat but they could beat them in this hazy sort of submarine warfare kind of kind of thing and Khan's second in command played by judson scott um Joach- joachim knows this right and he's like i'm slowing down and uh and that's a kind of a fun scene where spock is like well they're slowing down and kirk says put me on with khan (laughs) and he gives him a little he go he just goads him it's like khan right look i'm still alive ha ha so here's another thing he wants to set him up to murder him well well but they're trying to beat him i mean this is this is the idea is i got i gotta get you to chase me in here because that's the only way we're going to be able to escape but here's the other here's the thing about that is it's not just khan though is it sure on that ship well no they said they say that they left the whole crew behind on SETI alpha 5 so it's just khan and his people khan and his other genetically engineered people the 72 super people from 1996 Back in the old days of 1996, when we left on spaceships, um, and, and so anyway, they they um, 
they they floor it at that point Khan's like no chase him we gotta we gotta go get him because Khan is obsessed with Kirk he has to kill Kirk and Kirk knows this and uses it against him no oh Khan's downfall is his lust for revenge yeah no this is the I mean I, that's the Moby Dick reference that gets made a couple of times too because that's a book about a a sailor who is obsessed and his obsession is his downfall and that's that's what they're going for here is Khan is out for the wrath of Khan. It was originally called the vengeance of Khan and it's he's out for revenge and the revenge is his his, his downfall. At one point, Joachim says to him, we can go anywhere we want. We've got a spaceship. And Khan's like, no, I must kill Kirk. And also they have the most powerful weapon available. Yeah, they can go anywhere and do anything. And he is not willing to do that because he is he is uh, he's out for vengeance. And so they enter the nebula, they have a, a fight, and the Enterprise ends up taking out most of Khan's crew, which is, again, one of these other morally strange parts to me. But, like, I don't know, there's just, like, the amount of people that we were watching being destroyed, yeah. just, like, it killed them all, man, like, Yeah, okay. well, it's Khan, they're, they're Khan's people, I think that's, I think the, the idea is that they're, you know, you're, you're in a space battle with another ship, that's, that's part of the deal. And in the end, it's not, it, it's not Khan, who, I mean, it's not... Kirk kills some of the people on the ship, but they're like gonna. They ask him to surrender, and 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 Khan's like, "No, I'm blowing everything up now." <laughs> I mean, he doesn't care either about who, whatever's left of his crew. He's gonna blow yeah. up his his ship and take Kirk with him. I mean, he doesn't care about Kirk's Kariba, but Kirk's meant no. to be the good guy. Yeah. No, they're the enemy, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I couldn't tell here um, if the nebula scenes were tense or unnecessarily slow paced hmm. there was lots of back and forth of like faces and it just did it, it i didn't really feel the tension it just felt like it was taking too long i think like, that may be a difference between 1982 and 2016 that's a good point yeah I, I i think maybe that it would be faster paced now the idea there is they're trying to build tension they want it to be like a submarine battle uh, something like Hunt for Red October, the idea that, every, you know, they're moving very slowly. The way that they beat yeah. Khan in the in the battle is that Khan is thinking in terms of going left and right, and they go, they go up and down. He's thinking uh, two-dimensionally, uh, which you would do in space if you were somebody who's used to being, like, from a planet. And the, the spacemen of the 23rd century are, are capable of flying their spaceship up and down, too. Yep. And that, they use that to beat him. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I think that the pacing is... Um, not what you would do today. Because then also Khan very slowly with his last ounce of strength so activates slowly. the Genesis weapon. Well, he has a speech to give, Mike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to he, give most his... of it, he's not even talking. He's just turning a dial and then pressing a button no. and turning a dial. and pre- It wait, takes way too long. That part takes way too long. Uh. Um, and then Spock uh, sacrifices himself, right? Like um, Because... Th- basically they they need the ship's power core or whatever to be repaired but nobody can go and repair it because it's horrifically radioactive right um and if this is done then they can go into uh what do they call it, is it warp, warp speed warp speed and yeah. escape the only way they can escape they're going full impulse uh sulu's got full impulse but they're not going to make it in fact i think sulu says in one of the lines that i like we're not going to make it are we (laughs) and uh and spock has that moment where he's sitting in the chair and he's like okay i gotta i gotta do this because they got to get the warp drive back online or everybody's gonna die and so he goes into the radioactive chamber scotty tries to stop him uh 
Bones tries to stop him. Um, he gives Bones the neck pinch and then puts his fingers on his head and says, remember. Hmm. I wonder what that's setting up. And uh, that's setting up the next movie. Uh, and he goes in. He sacrifices himself uh, to save the ship. He bathes in the radiation, gets the warp drive back online. They zip away. Yay. Uh, thereby saving everybody. And the Genesis torpedo blows up and kills Khan and his crew and the spaceships and all of that. But not the Enterprise. Not before Khan says, For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Bit melodramatic. I think that's, I think that's Moby Dick again. Oh, really? That's too much. Yeah. If, that's the, if that's a direct yeah. quote, that's too, that's too much. That's too on the nose. There, there's, there's a lot of Moby Dick in this. In Star Trek VI, there's a lot of Shakespeare. I think that's a yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Spock is in bad shape, um, and he repeats something that he says earlier about the needs of the many, and, and Kirk uh, like ends it by saying outweighs the needs of the few, or the, the one, or whatever it was that they yep. mentioned, as they that's kind it. of change it a little bit. Um, then they do the Vulcan salute thing through the glass, live long and prosper, Stock, Spock dies. Yep. Um, I didn't expect him to remain dead dead, as I mentioned. Like I was expecting hand out of casket. <laughs> Or something. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But then there's nope. the father and son moment that we referenced with the, uh, you know, you've never seen death. And then it's like, I love you, dad. I love you, son. That kind of thing. Yeah. And then there's the whole point at the end where it's like, I feel young and life and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I right. think totally, totally questionable moment. I feel like this movie is, come- I mean, the whole idea is that Kirk's taking a journey and he needs to embrace, uh, you know, accept his mortality and embrace that he needs to do what he, uh, what he can with, his, with his life. Um, and, and, uh, because it's going to end and he's going to get old and die and he just needs to do it. It does seem awfully sunny after all these people have died and, uh, including all the scientists and all of the all of the people on Khan's ship and a bunch of people on the Enterprise and Spock has died. And then in the end, you know, Kirk's there with the mother of his son wearing his jacket next to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. It's like, I don't know about that. That's a little weird. That's a weird, weird moment. So I thought this movie was going to be slow and kind of dumb and <laughs> was only going to be interesting to people that like Star Trek. What is Jason making me watch? <laughs> right, this was how I felt. I was like, "This is going to be a dis- this is just dis- yep. a disaster for me." But I felt like it moved super fast, mm-hmm. like it was over in a flash. I was very surprised about that, and it had a lot more thought and moral questioning in it than I expected. And they didn't lean too heavily on the previous knowledge um, of of the viewer. Right, and I got to say, I enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it. This is not going to make my top five of my no. the movies. Or should it? No. But I, I enjoyed it vastly more than I thought I was going mm. to. I thought this was going to be one of the rare, I think maybe the only Mike at the Movie suggestion that I didn't like. I don't think there's been one that I didn't like before. Um, from you, anyway. I've, I've disliked movies that Casey has shown <laughs> Casey, me. Yeah. Sorry, Casey. But of the upgrade mic at the movies, I have never disliked a movie, and you have kept that crown going because Yay. I did. I enjoyed it. I and and uh, I think maybe maybe of all of the movies that I've seen, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. The most, hmm. like the rest of them, there have been elements that I thought would uh, would work or I, I would like. Um, and then some of them surprised me more than, than expected. Like, Say Anything continues to be a massive surprise to me. It will probably always be the most surprising, just how much I adored that movie. Um, 
And some of them disappointed me a little bit, like Real Genius disappointed me a little bit in areas because there's a lot of questionable humor in that, which I didn't like. Um, indeed. But this movie only surprised me positively, even mm. if I thought some things were uncomfortable. Like, I, I still dislike the kind of feeling of Kirk's bad actions and that there's no consequences for him. Right. Literally none. Well, I guess I mean the con- the consequences are that that he he well I mean Spock dies. I guess yeah, that ultimately Spock that's comes the back to life again. That's like, true. Yeah, that's so true. Th- there are no consequences for Kirk's actions, even when they are bad and or questionable. Yeah. Um. And, and that I don't like, and and I don't know why I felt this so strongly in this movie when there are so many movies like it, but I think it was purely because of the way that Khan Khan is introduced as someone who is done wrong before you find out what he did. Yeah, he has a he has a legitimate grievance against yep. Kirk. I think I think he does. A great suggestion and uh, a movie worthy to take the episode one hundred crown. So thank you, Jason. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it, it is. I think it is. A, 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 I think it's a good movie, and there are good and bad Star Trek movies. But Star Trek Two is a good movie. It, it you know it has some of the best space battle scenes I think in any movie even though the effects are obviously dated um, I think they're actually pretty they, darn good for 1982. The effects held up surprisingly well. I thought that this was some kind of special edition or something that I was watching. No, the the you know bl- the, the 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 phaser blasts on the hull they get the big scorch marks and people yeah, are screaming and jumping yeah, around yeah. and all of that and and it, and it all is kind of logical and how do you how do you resolve it with and uh, unexpected places they go down deeper you know they go to the space station nobody's there except dead bodies and they go deeper into the planet and and then you get the back and forth between shatner and and montalban which is so great and it is amazing that they never actually share space uh it's just on one end of a communicator or other but they but their back and forth is is great and fittingly kind of uh, you know they're both trying to outdo each other and go even further over the top with their back and forth and it's great i i like it a lot and i like the end the end is very sad i when i saw this in the movie theater as a kid i just sobbed when spock died it was so sad um i think looking back on it now of course then they just bring him back and he's in all the other movies um and (laughs) and that devalues the end of this a little bit it would have been more sad you know obviously if he had actually stayed dead but that didn't happen and they were already as you pointed out quite rightly laying the groundwork for him to come back because the the way the story goes is leonard nimoy said i'd be in star trek 2 if you killed me they're like all right we'll do that and then by the end of the shoot, he's like, hey, because the Star Trek motion picture wasn't very good. Um, and I think people didn't really have a good time on it. By the end of the movie, he's like, hey, this is pretty good. I'd do more. <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> so they left themselves some outs so they could bring him back. And then they did. Uh, which is why that whole line, all those lines are there at the end. Yeah, and they remember putting the hand on, 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 uh, on, uh, on Dr. McCoy that's in there and then they show the the casket lovingly panning over the casket no hand emerges but that is the implication right it didn't like, make sense to me right why there. the caskets remain intact on these planets exactly exactly like why do why are they made to do that like there would just be dead bodies just strewn all over these planets i know i think they figured well i think they usually like fire them into the sun or something but in this case they fired it into the genesis planet uh but of course the genesis planet is like nothing we've seen before so but that's another movie. The way I retconned this was three. that, because maybe I didn't pay enough attention, was that they put him in an escape pod, not a coffin. Oh, it's a uh, it's a torpedo. It's a photon torpedo. Right, but then it makes no freaking sense why it stayed in peace, because surely a torpedo know. should explode. 
Well, they took the, the explosives out and put a Vulcan in it instead. Yeah, but still. I don't know. How how strong should the structures be? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, it makes no, it makes no it, sense the, then yeah, to me why that stayed intact. It should have broken into pieces when it hit the Earth. It's magic. Or whatever it is. The, it's the same, the Mike, it's the same reason that Chekhov doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, like, it would be inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad dear. you like it. I'm, I'm glad you like it. I like it too and i'm glad you do it's a fun it's a fun movie with some great performances and a good I, it is a good script and in fact that's one of the things that i think is uh not a bad influence but a good influence on future star trek is um uh the writer and director of this uh has been involved with other star treks he did he actually wrote star trek and directed star trek six um nicholas meyer and um was involved in in the star trek uh movies for quite a while and my understanding is he is actually one of the consulting producers and writers on the new star trek series that's coming out in january so they're kind of honoring him the tv show yeah for his for his work uh but he he injected look star trek as a movie franchise would not exist if this had been a bad movie uh, the the, the yeah. only reason that there were more Star Trek movies is that Star Trek 2 was really good because it was on a $16 million budget or whatever it was, small budget, and it was not really given a lot of support, and it was a good movie, and that's the only reason Star Trek continued after that. <laughs> only reason. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 100. And uh, if you want to find Jason online, he's at JasonL on Twitter. He's at sixcolors.com. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to Casper and Squarespace for sponsoring this show. But most of all, thanks to you, dear listeners, for helping us get to episode 100, especially if you've been here from the beginning. We love each and every single one of you. Until next time. Yes, we do. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Say goodbye, Mike Hurley. Oh, no, that's not right. You're supposed to say Jason Snell on special occasions. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.